0: Aaron, hi. Good to see you. Great to see you. And uh, I, you know, I have to say, as I introduce you, that you know I'm a fan of you personally. You know, congratulations on what you, Nicole, and the Imperative team have created. Uh, it's it's important work, uh, as I cited in a post I did yesterday, referencing a recent uh, article that you co-wrote. Uh, you know, the need for peer connection is something that is critical to our not only uh, enjoyment in life, but, you know, our resilience and our sustainability and bringing our best selves, you know, to life every day, you know, not just work. But, uh, you know, with that as a staging, uh, you mind introducing yourself and a little yeah, bit about what you gonna been talking about today?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and just love our partnership. Um, it's been wonderful to, you know, be able to count you as a friend and uh, just love our conversation. So I'm um, excited to be here. But yeah, so uh, Aaron Hurst, I am the... Founder and uh, CEO of Imperative. Um, I've been actually in this doing this work for about twenty years. Overall, Uh, my last organization was called the Taproot Foundation, um, which was a nonprofit organization that was um, designed around trying to meet a different need around purpose at work. Which is, we saw that people wanted to volunteer, but not just traditional volunteering. They wanted to do pro bono work. They wanted to help. Is their marketing skills their tech skills their hr skills in the community and there was no vehicle for that at the time so built that out um, across seven different offices in the u.s then partnered with the white house built that into a 15 billion dollar marketplace in the u.s and then partnered with the bmw foundation out of berlin to basically support 30 affiliates um, around the world um, and it was just this awesome experience of figuring out how do you design you know projects that intrinsic motivation is like all it's about because you're not paying people a dime. In fact, often they're paying for some of their incidental costs associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just an incredible sort of um, entry into understanding this work. And what it made me realize is that people were doing pro bono work first and foremost because their work wasn't fulfilling. Um, what we came to realize, which you know, I know is no surprise to you given all the great work you do, um, people are unfulfilled at work. They were using this as a supplement like a vitamin to make up for the fact that they're basically their entree, their core work um, wasn't cutting it. Um, and I realized it was actually enabling the problem, not solving the problem. Hmm. Um, it's like those uh, taking vitamins makes it okay for McDonald's to exist um, and to serve food that's not healthy, right? So um, we actually need to figure out how do we make sure everyone's work is fulfilling? And that's really the journey that led me to write The Purpose Economy and really put purpose on the map as a economic. Look at that beautiful purpose. Yeah, You got
0: it right here. It's <laughs> just so everybody knows. Love it. Uh, no, I love it too. So. Um, so that came out in
1: 2013. just really sort of putting purpose on the map um, in the business community and really helping understand the science of it. And then I've been on a journey just trying to figure out like, how do we scale helping people be fulfilled at work? How do we actually make that happen? And that's really what you know has led to the launch of Imperative as a purpose-driven uh, peer coaching platform. It's really the leading now peer coaching platform in the market. Um, and it's really, I think, part of the way work is going to work. Um, going forward to actually make psychology and the emotional experience of work, first and foremost, which is what's necessary to actually get to the retention and productivity that companies want. So I'll leave it there. I could talk for hours, as you know.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, there's several things that I want to touch on today because, yeah. you know, it's. Yeah, you know, there's all this talk about resiliency, uh, happiness, engagement, particularly with remote work. And yeah. you know, we also, you know, Brene Brown's been in the news lately, obviously, Spotify yeah. and uh, all that c- controversy. But she's obviously best known for, or arguably best known for, the power of vulnerability. Yeah. And you know, how, you know, are you going to be vulnerable to your boss? Are you going to be vulnerable to your peers? Are you going to be vulnerable to your direct reports? And if Vulnerability is truly empowering. It it just invites the question, you know, who do you be vulnerable with and and for what purpose? And reflecting on my own experience, I have been most vulnerable and most um, I've learned the most and have been empowered the most by peers. And you're the one who actually brought this to my consciousness. I I, I looked back in my history and I even looked to today and how I got into this field. I partnered with Mara Stevenson and Melissa um, McMahon at Starbucks. And we had a, unbeknownst to me, a peer relationship that helped us be vulnerable to one. Hey, this is scary. This is, I have no idea what the heck is going on here. Can you you know help me think this through? And that helped elevate my career and my effectiveness as a professional. And there are countless others who have, you know, functioned that way for me in my, my personal life here with remote work. And I don't have to tell you hybrid work, you know, the opportunities for serendipitous connection to actually get in a room and find people who are driven, you know, by a common mission or or passion or purpose, as you'll talk about, you know, those aren't, it's not the same, there's not as many opportunities. So can you speak to why this from your perspective is so critical given the reality of work today?
1: Yeah, I, now, I would break it down into a couple different pieces. I think the first is just, I think part of the premise, which I'm hearing you say, which I think is true and not true, um, I think there's this sort of um, view that it used to work. The relationships used to work before COVID. And we know from Cigna's study in 2019 before COVID hit, 61% of the workforce was lonely at that point. So I think we need to stop romanticizing some past state um, it ever worked. I think the opportunity now is it's become so broken that maybe we can actually fix it. Um, returning to what was um, is not gonna not gonna get us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's sort of point number one. I think the second one is we are from a mental health, well-being, learning, like every single part of what makes us, um, you know, thrive as individuals and as employees, is ties back to relationships because the way we were wired, like back in the day, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago our survival depended on being part of a community. Um, It was part of like, if there's limited food, like the people who were in that community who were thought of as valuable were the ones fed and the others weren't. And there's a lion attacking the village. um, The more people there are there, the more likely it is you personally survive. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're wired to need those relationships to survive. Um, And I think the challenge we've seen pre-pandemic and into it is that most people don't know how to create a relationship and they don't know how to sustain a relationship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think we've got this sort of shame in our culture we're like well of course everyone knows how to make friends of course everyone's like great at this and if you're not you're a loser right (laughs) Um, i guess that means like 90 percent of america are losers because the vast majority of people don't know how to build friendships they don't know how to sustain friendships and i'm not talking about just people to like you know just go talk smack with i'm talking about like friends where you're vulnerable with them, where you're actually truly seeing each other, where you have that, that, that level of intimacy, which is necessary to achieve this outcome that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and c- companies need that in order for the people to be successful and to retain them. And I think there's this early re- like realization happening in companies that friendship and connection is now one of the parts of infrastructure that companies need to provide. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna just magically happen. It's not happening whether you're at a water cooler or not at a water cooler. Um, and if you don't have it, well-being, productivity, belonging, creativity, all these things suffer. And I think that's one of the big ahas for us is just um, you know, imperative is that critical piece of infrastructure that was missing.
0: Well, there's several things I want to ask you about. And there is a lot of talk and money being put at. Uh, employee experience initiatives, yep. uh, helping uh, create remote work or hybrid work strategies. Um, obviously culture has been top of mind, but the kind of the knowing the talk, you know, hasn't always aligned with the investments and what has happened behind it. So my pointed question is is this, if, if this is so valuable and organizations, you know, executives in particular can nod their head and agree, um, why should this be a priority relative to all the other potential investments that can be made to improve culture, whether it be employee surveys and action planning or improving performance management processes or communication it, you know, whatever it is, from your perspective, why should this be a priority facilitating authentic purpose-driven connection?
1: Oh, it was like so many, so many, uh, sub there. I think actually yeah. Brené Brown, who you mentioned earlier talks about, I think it was her, like we're feeling animals who think sometimes, <laughs> whereas I think what we want to believe in the workplace is that we're thinking animals that feel sometimes, but we can bury those feelings. Mm. And we've got this like, so backwards that so we built all the infrastructure over the assumption of rational thought, rational behavior in the workplace. And that's not actually how human beings operate. And that if companies are able to actually acknowledge that we are feeling animals who think sometimes, you then realize you need a infrastructure in place to address the feelings of employees. Because what happens is, when people don't, when people have emotions that come up at work, if they don't metabolize um, those emotions, they actually fester and they become that horrible boss. They become the person who's like bringing down the team. They become the person who ends up leaving. Um, We don't create that ability for people to actually metabolize those emotions. And we get what I call emotional constipation, um, where people are just fundamentally not operating at their best. And companies need this to actually enable people to engage in those learning systems you're investing in, to engage in those performance systems. Um, It's the table stakes before you even get to those systems. And what peer coaching does, Al, is that by having people every two weeks have a conversation with a peer that's scientifically designed for them to process um, those emotions and come out of it um, feeling cleared and with a plan for how they want to show up. Um, you're actually helping with that metabolizing of emotion so that people are actually able to show up proactively. And to your term, you know, employee experience, employee experience is not something that a company provides. Employee experience is what's going on emotionally for someone as they go through their work. So if you want to invest in employee experience, you've got to address the emotions first. And that requires creating that metabolizing process for them. So again, I can go on with like 20 other bullet points, but that's the one I've been excited about recently. I just think it's like so true scientifically.
0: I I mean, you're getting me fired up for, on a variety of fronts because I I referenced my kids in the article and I'm going to translate to a broader um, uh, theme here because they're 21 and 18. Uh, they're in school, but they're going to be entering the workforce soon, yeah. and they're many of their friends and... And we both know that there are young people who are getting onboarded into organizations or they're taking on a new role and getting connected to the team, getting connected to the organization it's difficult. I mean, it's it's been difficult in the best of times, your earlier points, that we don't want to go back to what was. So from your perspective, given what you're talking about us as emotional beings and this longing to feel included, feel like you have a, a sense of belonging, I'm going to kind of re-ask the, you know, the questions that if I'm a head of talent or I'm a head of operations and, you know, I'm concerned, With The great resignation about retention, I've spent all this money in recruiting, you know, should this be part of not only an onboarding process, but part of the way we stay connected within organizations?
1: I mean, obviously, yes. I think the, um, you know, research has shown over and over again, you stay where you have relationships, uh, meaningful relationships. Other people can offer more money the benefits, et cetera. But um, at the core of it is you're not going to want to leave places where you've got very strong connections and relationships with friends. Um, That is like such a a critical piece of it. And if you want to actually retain those people you spent all that money on, you've got to make sure they've got meaningful relationships with multiple people throughout the organization, Mm -hmm. Um, pure coaching and enabling people to have these um, relationships developed online. We're finding out that even after three one-hour conversations, two strangers in a company come to say that they built a meaningful, sustained relationship. Mm. So if you can build those relationships at scale, um, that is going to dramatically change your turnover challenges. It's going to dramatically address belonging. It's going to dramatically um, uh, impact innovation and collaboration. Um, It is the simplest, easiest, most human way to address these big, hairy problems that every CHRO and CEO is addressing. I think what they been trying to do is address it through a lot of the symptoms, but the root cause is relationships and having that meaningful connection and place to reflect and in place to to process what's going on. You do that, a lot of the other things just sort of start to melt away.
0: Yeah, as you're sharing this, I am caught by this notion of coaching. And I hear in the voice, or I hear in my back of my head, the voices of, of several people uh, throughout their career, old and young, who have, I shouldn't say old and young, <laughs> more experience and less experience, um, who say, i'm not qualified to be a coach and they're intimidated by this notion of 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 coaching and they haven't had practice in holding space or or being you know vulnerable but what do you say to those who might be intimidated by you know this type of interaction
1: yeah So coaching is a process and it's like a mindset towards a relationship, but the core of coaching is not solving people's problems. It's just asking questions to help them solve them for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just making that shift. And what we've seen is that by creating scientifically designed guides for people in the conversations where you're getting the questions as prompts, the follow-up questions, um, it's all provided for you. Um, We're finding people with zero training um, can go into peer coaching and 75% of the time in their very first conversation, it's very helpful or breakthrough. Um, and that's because we're providing that prompt and we're just making it super simple for people, no matter what their, you know, experience is to have that kind of conversation because it's breaking it down to a human level. And we're also infusing it with personalized insights about them that helps them answer the questions in a thoughtful way. So, you know, having been a, um, you know, being the recipient of coaching for a lot of it early in my career, like one of the things that really struck me, Al, was it's, it's really just a process and it's like any process that can be replicated. And that's why software is so great for this, because we can basically um, replicate the motion of coaching, but basically having it delivered by peers. And that's actually in a lot of ways better than working with a professional coach, because when I ask you a question, your answer is helpful to me mm-hmm. because I'm probably going through the same thing and vice versa. Um, whereas with a professional coach, it's really one way. Yep. Um, you're building empathy, um, and you're actually building a connection with someone that doesn't leave the second they stop getting paid by you. Right, it's super powerful.
0: It's absolutely super powerful, and yeah, I'm um, where I want to go with this is is something that's really important to, to me, and I'm trying to uh, check my own biases, my own structure of interpretation, you know, sure. with, with this whole thing. But there's this uh, idea that you know, what is a peer? Yep. You know, a peer, a peer can be defined in in many different ways. And there, you, I know you're inspired by Dan and Chips Heath and, and in particular yep. Switch. And we yep. talked about the power of habit and all these things and how to bring them to life nudges. Yep. Uh, but I, I want to focus on, you know, defining what a peer is. Very and And also the, uh, the idea of an accountability buddy. Okay. Um, you know, is, is that the role of a peer coach in some way? Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: So... In the most sort of broad philosophical sense, we're all peers in the world as human beings, but in the context of peer coaching, what we're looking for is psychological safety. What we're looking for is relatability, so that as I shared earlier, when you and I are sharing um, what's you know our challenges, our hopes, our dreams, there's a sense of empathy for each other because we're dealing with similar things. So those are the two things that really um, make peers so important. So as we deploy the program, it's at a hierarchical level. So it's like all ICs, all managers are matched with each other because they're going to, that way you have greater um, psychological safety um, and you also have the ability to relate to each other. The other thing we found is it's great to have it where you're not in the same exact um, team so that some of the dynamics from the team are not playing into that because that can also affect psychological safety. So being able to pair you with someone in a different city, a different function um, is really, really valuable. And it also helps break down silos. Mm -hmm. And then to your question about accountability, that's a huge part of what it is. And so it's accountability to show up and make an hour every two weeks a priority um, to actually process your emotions, to think through and be intentional about your work to state sort of what it is that you wanna do differently. And at the end of each conversation, Al, people pledge, what is one thing I'm gonna to do to change my employee experience for myself? And what we found is that by doing that and then coming back two weeks later and I'm like, hey, Al, did you do what you said you would do? 83% of the time people are following through on those actions which is just completely unheard of as a sort of, as a rate of completion. And that's because there's that commitment. So it's the commitment to the action, but it's that commitment to just show up for each other and just make space for reflection, to make space for um, uh, metabolizing emotion.
0: Gosh, there, uh, so we're in February 2nd, 2022, and it's Black History Month. And you know, obviously, over the past couple of years, there's been you know, social strife in the United States. You know, there's been uh, you know, the topic of race and the role of organizations in promoting social justice and being anti-racist and, and uh, taking a stand is has been elevating in prominence. And, and that's fantastic, in, in my view. And the reason I bring this up as a bit of a non sequitur is uh, there is... Uh, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I saw a 60 Minutes episode about storytelling yeah. and you know, how they're doing it through the Library of Congress and capturing stories of people throughout the United States on a variety of topics uh, and having these artifacts. So, And they also have an initiative to bring people together based on commonalities and talk about the tough issues. So the reason I set the stage like this is that There are a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging initiatives that are centered around those topics and they go and have tough conversations. All fine and good need to happen. There's also another uh, reality that we're a diverse group and we need to get work done. We cannot have those conversations each and every time we interact, you know, we have to get work done. So I'm, I'm looking at this process where I am connected with somebody who is of a different, uh, you know, background, socioeconomically, you get where I'm going on this, but it, and it could very well, once you build this trust, help each other out, you can get to, a place where you have more empathy, you, you feel more I- included. Is that something that you're seeing as you roll out and you see the stories come back?
1: Oh, a thousand percent. So I mean, whether it's you know Microsoft, whether it's Zillow, Hasbro, um, Boston Scientific, sort of different um, customers of ours, we're seeing in the data, first of all, uh, black employees are rating the value of this higher than any other population, wow. which is really interesting. Um, and we're also um, seeing that when we're able to bring people who maybe be of different races, but of the same purpose, because we're profiling the purpose of every employee when they enter the platform, we actually can see, ooh, Al and this other person are different races, different experiences, but we actually know they have the same psychological purpose. When we bring them together, you immediately create a sense of belonging because they feel like they see each other, understand each other, and there's a permission to have that engagement and conversation um, and we've just heard story after story of just um, these bridging relationships where people feel seen, supported, and are starting to build that network in a way that mentoring never was able to because it's powered by this purpose profiling engine that looks at people not as a Swiss army knife with different tools, but actually sees them as human beings um, that have a purpose um, behind you know, who they are and what they want to contribute. So we're seeing it's just incredibly powerful of both supporting people you know, of the same, you know background different background but with that shared purpose actually creates this whole ability um to connect us as people in a totally
0: new way it's never been done before i'm just i want to play we can get to that um a couple more questions i have before we wrap and i mean we're gonna have to obviously talk again because there's a lot of uh things that we can get into that I think can bring this to life uh, for organizations uh, and individuals. Cause you're, know, you're, you're talking about systematic change, but you're also talking about, you know, micro level change as well, which, you know, connecting those not many systems or processes do, but what is the way that you match people up? Cause I know you have an assessment as you go into um, the platform. Can you speak to the dimensions of that and how peers are matched?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So typically when we start in a company, we come in typically through learning and development as part of like manager, their manager program or leadership program, hypo program. Um, and people create profiles on the platform, as you said, that gets to um, understanding what is their purpose, what is their current level of fulfillment, um, you know, demographic information, and then you know, where are they in the company? Um, we don't see people as tools. We see them as human beings. So that's sort of what their profile um, looks like. That then, um, based on coaching given to me by Rob Cross, um, who many of you know um, from his work on organizational network analysis, we actually have designed different algorithms to do matching based on different outcomes um, that the company wants. So if you wanna boost innovation in the company, we have an algorithm that optimizes the match for that based on sort of predictive analytics. Um, let's say you wanna increase belonging. We have a dial for that, right? Where you can actually use the matching algorithm for that. Um, there's one for purpose. There's one for well-being. So it depends on the company and like how they want to optimize the way the matches are done. And this has never been done before. It's actually the ability to match people in an organization based on organizational network analysis, um, because we have this purpose and fulfillment data that enables that to be possible. Um, so those matches are then made, and then every quarter you get a new match. So um, over time, the company can change and say, okay, innovation was last six months. Now we want to move to purpose. Now we want to move to well-being. So it gives like an executive the chance to actually proactively steer their culture, um, not just wait and see what like happen. Like look at the mirror, view mirror. So it's actually like proactive people analytics in a sense, mm-hmm. um, because you're you're making these connections that you know are going to increase the odds of those those changes happening. Um, and each one of them has different logic based on Rob's work behind them to help inform like what's likely to produce that given outcome.
0: Gosh, I right. mean. <laughs> so uh, yeah we have to wrap up now unfortunately but there's yeah a couple things number one yeah i know you have stories emerging i know you all have done some you know great research on this you you mentioned your partnership with with rob cross and the collaboration that you've done there which yeah i have immense respect for uh, rob and beyond collaboration overload is something that uh, yeah has been very impactful uh for me as i read it in in the fall so point of question how can people learn more about i imagine imperative.com but you know anything that you would like to point them to specifically
1: yeah so um, definitely imperative.com we do uh, webinars every two weeks um, where we interview experts and our customers and really deep dive into the science and case studies around how this is being deployed inside companies so encourage you like even i can on the imperative website up top you'll see like the most uh, the next webinar um, coming up. So highly recommend sort of getting into those webinars. People love them. Um, so that's sort of one. And second, just on the site you'll see sort of more of a detailed description of the product and how it works. You can get your head around this. This is a new idea for a lot of people. Um, and this is really the future of work. So it's exciting just to, to think through like how this is changing, changing organizations. It also includes case studies, etc. And um, we'd love to set up a demo if anyone's interested in their company and actually setting up a demo. Um, we actually do that by having people do peer coaching as the demo, not just showing you screens. So it's a really fun process for folks. Um, so you can sign up for that on the website as well. And I'm on LinkedIn. So don't be shy about DMing me, uh, don't be shy about, um, reaching out. Um, I love engaging with folks and um, helping people ultimately. I mean, Al, you know this, I'm in this for the social impact. so. Um, it's all about helping people find fulfillment in their work, find connection. Um, that's what gets me up in the morning.
0: Well, I'm glad you're getting up in the morning and doing what you yeah. do. And I, I, I want to say, too, thank you to you, Nicole, for your partnership and offering your platform to members of the People Analytics and Future of Work community. I know we're going to have another uh, launch coming up in, uh, I think, in early March. Awesome. But the idea, you know, that people can... It, experience this from a community um, perspective, but ultimately the value is that you're delivering on is for enterprises, for organizations themselves. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Um, But we're excited to be working with you so that we can actually have your members connect with each other and to support each other. I mean, you may be working at different companies, but you're in very similar functions or going through similar work. Um, It's such an important time to take care of yourself, to make that time and to build those connections. So I hope a lot of you take advantage of that and just, you know, sign up um, when Al is sending out notifications about it. I think you'll have an incredible time.
0: Well, again, Aaron, thank you so much. We're going to have to talk again because there's a lot more that I just wrote down and and got in my head that I got to get out. So, and hopefully, in person. Oh, <laughs> so well. we're going to do done. our city tour. We're going to come up there to Seattle. And uh, so we'll have to get you uh, you know, with a group of folk and we'll, we'll have some fun with it. So again, thank you for doing what you do and uh, see you soon. Thank you. So much fun. All right. Be well. Bye.